in a, a new series on the book of Acts. We're going to be going through the book of Acts chronologically, not verse by verse, but we're going to go theme by theme as they unfold in the book. Because the book of Acts is us. We are the church now. Mark did a brilliant introduction last week. You want to catch that online if you haven't listened to that yet. Uh, we're going to skip over the uh, the unity of the church, the community of the church, not because we don't want unity and community, but because uh, chronologically it comes up quickly, but we're going to save it for uh, our Connect Group launch in the spring, which is the day after, or the Sunday after um, Easter. But uh, today I want to land on what I believe is the main theme out of all the themes in the book of Acts. I believe all the other themes in the book of Acts that we're going to cover serve this greater theme. I want to ask you what you think, if you've read the book of Acts, how many of you have read the book of Acts before? Raise your hands, okay. The majority. If if not, begin reading the book. It's dynamic. You'll get the most out of this series if you're actually reading the book. You can sit that, take an afternoon, read through the entire thing. It's 27 chapters, 28, something like that. What do you believe is the main theme in the book of Acts? Just shout it out. Holy Spirit. Persecution. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This might be book of Acts light for you. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be making that the main theme, though it is in there. Continuation of Jesus' ministry. Power of God. What? Church is alive. The power of God united. Huh? Tell us. Gail, I see you lipping something back there. What are you, what are you thinking it is? What is it? Amen. That's about it. You can all go home now. I bless you in Jesus' name. She just covered it. I, I think all of those themes that you just quoted are actually supports to the main theme. And I'm going to prove this scripturally. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 1. I want to show you something. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the dead. He walks through a wall where all the guys were huddled in fear and shows them his, the holes in his wrists and the holes in his side. And then he begins to teach. And the Bible says he spends 40 days with them. They're really paying attention like never before because this is no longer the lowly carpenter teaching them. This is the resurrected Christ teaching them. Jesus didn't just give them one little blip and go away. He spent 40 days with his first followers before he ascended into heaven. So this was not one little short thing he talked to them about. So we think he had a whole laundry list of things that he would talk to them about for 40 days. But he also knew he only had 40 days. So he knew, just like when he was about to be crucified, John 15 through the rest of the book of John, he lays down um, all the most important things he wants to get into his disciples before he dies. Now he rose from the dead. He's got 40 more days to finalize what he wants to say to them. And then he goes off to heaven and they then get to take the baton for the rest of the race. Don't you wish you could have been a fly on the wall at least to hear what Jesus taught them for 40 days? 
Well, you don't need to be a fly on the wall. You can be a saint in the 21st century church because the physician Luke recorded what Jesus taught them about for 40 days. We've got it right here. Can everybody say, thank you, Luke? All right. I'm sure he just heard you. Acts chapter 1. Let's read this, and you're going to see what I'm talking about. The former account I made, O Theophilus, that's Luke, the physician, who wrote the book of Luke, which is the former account, the, the gospel of Luke. So now he's writing his second book, the book of Acts. The former account, the book of Luke, I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit, he had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many unmistakable, infallible proofs. Being seen by them, being seen, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to, say it out loud. The kingdom of God. That is the theme of the book of Acts. Because it was the theme of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus' message, when God came to the earth as a human being and began to communicate, the first message, the first sermon out of his mouth was, anybody know? Come on, Bible scholars in here. Those of You've been sitting in church for 35, 40 years. Come on. What? Repent for the kingdom of God is here. God came to the earth not only to die for your and my sins so we could spend eternity with him in heaven. He came to show us what the kingdom of God looks like when a human being is a carrier of the kingdom in the earth. And you watch Jesus, through the Gospels, bring the kingdom everywhere he goes. You see this in almost all of his messages. It's always about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. He tells his disciples, go out, heal the sick, and say, you just experienced the kingdom of God. The whole message is the kingdom of God. So when he raises from the dead... He comes to his first disciples, teaches them about the kingdom of God for 40 days, and then says, see ya. And now they go for the rest of their life, expanding the kingdom of God everywhere they go. Guess whose turn it is now? I want to say this in a few moments, and I'll say it again right here. No follower of Jesus Christ should ever be confused about or ambiguous about, wondering about what God's will is for their life. I'm going to say something to you right now that's a bit confrontational, but you need to hear it. One of the reasons I believe so many followers of Jesus are so unsatisfied and confused is because we have mixed the American dream with Jesus' dream. There's a very prominent message in the body of Christ right now, which really irritates me because I think it weakens the believers. And I really say things like this, like contrary to what other teachers teach, unless I really feel like it needs to be said. Because I don't like bringing any kind of weird division in the body of Christ or thinking we have the corner on truth. But every once in a while, I just need to say something about things that are making their way into the body of Christ that I think are crippling Christians. 
And that is that Jesus is about fulfilling your dreams. I don't want him to fulfill my dreams. I was living my dreams before I met him. And they weren't working. I was empty. So I cashed in my life to serve him and his dreams. So my dreams are the dreams he gives to me that are about his kingdom, not mine. Can I hear an amen, please? Because what this amounts to is Jesus is serving you rather than you serving him. And it becomes very consumer-oriented, very me-centric. Jesus is fulfilling my dreams. I see it all over the place. I hear it preached because it's so exciting and attractive. The American dream is you can be whatever you want to be. You can be whoever you want to be. Well, that's true, and it's exciting. But it's temporary, and it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Unless the dream that you have been given is from God. And if it is from God, I'll tell you one way you can know. It will have something to do with the expansion of his kingdom. The Bible says God has given every believer a gift, a spiritual gift for the benefit of the body. Think about Joseph. If you know Joseph in the Old Testament, he was a, a son, one of the 12 sons, uh, one of the 12 tribes of, tribes of Israel, Joseph. And God gave him a dream. And the dream was, seemed really self-serving. The dream was that his brothers and his mother and father would bow down to him. And, you know, when you're a teenager, of course, you are dumb enough to actually tell your brothers and mother and father about the dream. And so he tells them, I had a dream. You all going to bow down to me. And his brothers got really angry at him. And he was already daddy's favorite. But then his mom and dad got mad at him because that's arrogant. And how could you see that dream? You would think on the surface is very self-centered. But the fulfillment of the dream was that God wanted to get Joseph into a place of prominence and power so that God's people could be fed during a famine. So God's dream for Joseph, yes, it blessed him. And God's dreams in your life will bless you. You will be blessed. The disciples are the one that passed out the loaves and the fish to 20,000 plus people. So the loaves and the fish went through them. Twelve baskets left over. I wonder who those were for. So you're going to get blessed with God's dreams in your life. But they aren't ultimately about you. They're about his glory and his kingdom being expanded throughout the entire earth. Salvation, healing, and deliverance for a hurting human race. These guys cashed in their dreams. Peter said, I've left my business. I've left my family. We've left the synagogue. We've left all to follow you. You see, they cashed in their American dream, their Israeli dream, whatever their dream would be called. They cashed it in when they met the Savior. And Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He gave them a new dream. Peter's dream was to be a successful fisherman. Jesus' dream was him to be an apostle. So this consumeristic American dream has made its way into the body of Christ where we live unsatisfied because we're always trying to still find our satisfaction and fulfillment in our dreams. And then we want Jesus to fulfill our dreams. It's completely upside down. Jesus' dream, and this is on your PowerPoint, Jesus' dream is the global expansion of his kingdom, bringing salvation, healing, and hope 
to the human race through his church. And he's inviting you to be a part of it. Thus, the great co-mission. How exciting is that? Jesus said it very plainly this way. In Luke chapter 6, 29-32, Jesus says what I just said much more eloquently and much more succinctly right here. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, meaning this earthly realm. Don't set your heart on it. He didn't say you can't enjoy it. My wife and I are blessed. I mean, God gave us a house up in Ramona that was beyond anything I could ever pay for. We've got vehicles. We've got food. We've had vacations that just came from Jesus. We've had, you know, our people healed in our family. And, I mean, we've, we've just... We've been blessed, 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 blessed. Sometimes I park at the end of my driveway still, and I just look at that home, and I just, I just sink in the goodness of God. I'm like, you are so good. It just humbles me. I mean, he wants to bless us, but that can't be what our mission is. In fact, all of these things, he's about to say, again, more succinctly than I am, all of these things are things that he adds to us, when we are about the expansion of his kingdom. I, 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 I enjoy so much more God giving me stuff than me striving for it. It's, it's easier and it's sweeter. And it doesn't cost me anything. Okay, watch this. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. And don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such Things. Are you connecting with the message, what I'm trying to get across today? You're a citizen of the kingdom of God, not of this world. You're a son and daughter of the Most High God, and you're an ambassador expanding His kingdom wherever you go, and He will take care of you when you make that your mission in life. And your Father knows that you need them. So Jesus says, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. This is so awesome. Do not be afraid, little flock. Don't fear. Your father loves giving you the kingdom, which includes all the stuff. The Bible says God gives us richly all things to enjoy. I am not talking about Gnosticism, which is thinking that the things of the world are evil, like nice things, nice food, clothes, surfing, vacations, cars, whatever. All these things are just things. I mean, think about it. The streets in heaven are paved with gold. It's not a big deal to God. Their asphalt is what we think is the most valuable thing on earth, gold. That's what they paved their streets with. God's not worried about the things, us having things. He's worried about things having us. That's why he says, don't set your heart on them. So you don't have to feel guilty about enjoying nice things in the earth. The problem is they're distractions if you're running after them, and that's your goal in life. What's in it for me? What can I get out of this? That's not to be your purpose. You're, you're created by God 
for things much greater than that. Your purpose in life has got to be much greater than accumulating all the asphalt that you can find. So, what is the kingdom of God then? Okay, don't put this up here. Let me ask you, what do you think the kingdom of God is? Because I just shared that the kingdom of God is to be your primary mission in life, the expansion of his kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? Just go ahead and shout out some things that come to your mind. What's the kingdom of God? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Somebody else. Love. God's presence. Say it again. Heaven and earth becoming one. Where heaven and earth meet. Everything that Jesus did. Someone else. What is the kingdom of God? It has a center, which is children. Say it. Say it. What's Act 10 say? Children are at the center of the kingdom. That's interesting. I'd like to have that unfolded and just... When we have a chance, we'll have a cup of coffee. You can tell me what that means. That's really good. Somebody else? Children at the king. Children at the center. Huh? Because he said the kingdom of God is like little children. What? God ruling. Wherever God rules is where his kingdom is. Right? I just put some definitions up here. Some, most of you have hit most of them. But it's really important for us to understand what we're talking about when we talk about expanding the kingdom of God. We need to know what the kingdom is. The kingdom of God is life as it was before the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. I stole that from a very solid theologian, Mark Cowper Smith. He's from Canada. God creates the heavens and the earth. And then he creates his man and woman. And he puts them in the Garden of Eden. And it was the expression of the kingdom, the dominion of God's reign. And he makes his prince and princess and says, rule and reign with me. There was no sickness and no disease. Let's go here to the next slide. In the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, there is no sin and rebellion, no sickness and disease, no fear or confusion. It's a face-to-face, enjoyable relationship with God. Blessing and favor. Purpose, significance, fulfillment, innocence, wisdom, courage, peace, love, wholeness, and happiness. The American dream is the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. Jesus never told us to pursue those things. He told us to pursue him and his kingdom And life, liberty, and happiness would be given to us. This is a serious stress reducer. Follow me, Jesus said. Just follow me. We just did a whole series following Jesus. Now he's going to heaven and he said, now do what I did. Look what uh, this this, uh, scripture that was just quoted here. For the kingdom of God, everybody say the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not about this earthly realm, but righteousness. That is being right with God, being in this right relationship with him, which is a gift through Jesus Christ. And peace, 
Do you know that I interviewed people for about a year? I would just, what, what I, wherever I would go, grocery store, the beach, school, wherever, I would say, what is the number one thing that you want in life? Do you know that almost, I was shocked. Almost every person gave me the exact same answer. Peace. I was shocked that I kept getting the same answer. Peace. And that's the first thing. What Jesus' name is the Prince of Peace. Jesus said, don't be afraid. He said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world can give, I give to you. You know, peace on earth and goodwill toward men was what the angel sang when Jesus was born. The earth does not have peace. But Jesus offers it. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And this is where he really begins to drill down on where all this comes from. In the Holy Spirit. And that is the next and the last attribute of the kingdom that I want to put on this list. And that is power. Now this separates the boys from the men, right? This separates the religions of the world from the kingdom of God. Is power. In fact, you, let's read on in Acts chapter 1. And in verse 4, we left off in verse 3. In Acts chapter 1 verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them to depart. Do not depart from Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere yet. I've been teaching you about the kingdom of God for 40 days. Actually for three and a half years plus 40 days. But don't go anywhere. You've got all the information, but don't budge. Don't move. Stay here. Why? For the promise of the Father, which you have heard from me. Well, where did they hear it from? Well, you go back to the book of Luke, where Luke at the beginning of this chapter said the former account. At the end of the book of Luke, Jesus says to the disciples, don't leave until you receive the power from on high. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a teaching organization alone. It is information that turns into transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we go out by the power of the Holy Spirit and we bring signs, miracles and wonders, gifts of revelation and wisdom, discerning of spirits, working of miracles and healing the sick. We bring the power of God into situations which is what proves That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's what their entire message was all throughout the book of Acts. Jesus is risen from the dead. And here, I'll prove it to you. And you lay hands on the sick and they recover. I know it's frustrating that we don't get the kind of results Jesus did. And we don't get the kind of results the apostles did. But we're contending for the kingdom. That's who we are. It belongs to us. The Bible says, we read it. Jesus said, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That includes the authority to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, salvation, healing, and deliverance. That is the nature of the kingdom of God. So T.L. Osborne, who is a world-renowned evangelist, he and his wife Daisy, in fact, they came to our church and preached when I was pastoring out in East County. They preached the gospel for over 40 years. They went to India for the first time. We're going to hear a testimony from Stephanie and Jeanette. They just got back from India. 
We're going to hear testimony from them in just a couple of minutes. Daisy and T.L. went to India in the 50s. They got into an argument, a theological, uh, religious argument, with some college students who were Hindus. And T.L. and Daisy debated and debated and debated with them about the difference between Hinduism and Christianity. Nobody got saved. He was so frustrated. They felt so defeated. They came off the mission field. And they go, they go to a William Branham tent revival, one of the healing evangelists. I see somebody back there with white hair going. That's right. One of the greatest evangelists that ever hit the planet. I just read about him in God's Generals. T.L. Osborne and Daisy went to one of his meetings. And when they saw the power of God for the first time in their life, where the sick were being healed, T.L. realized that's the missing ingredient. So they have William pray for him. They receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to offer today at the end of this service to lay hands on you and receive either a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit or the first time you've ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit where the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you and fills you up to overflowing. You may be born again. The Spirit of God's in you and you're born again. But there's a second operation of the Holy Spirit, which we're talking about right here in Acts chapter 1. They're already born again. Jesus already came to them in the upper room and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So they already did. Then he says, but don't go anywhere until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. They receive the power of the Holy Spirit. They go back to India to the very same place, to the very same students, and they start debating with him again. And T.L. sees the guy in a wheelchair and he says, wait a minute, let's do this differently this time. True story. He said, how about we both pray for the guy in the wheelchair and whoever's God can heal him is the true God. And of course, you know what happened. And after they prayed for the guy in the wheelchair and he was healed, T.L., there was a massive revival. And T.L. and Daisy spent decades in India leading millions to Christ. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says to these guys, and Gary's going to be teaching on this next week, the miracles of the apostles. Being assembled together with them, in verse 4, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with, the whole, with, with water, as water baptism, John the Baptist. That's why we call him John the Baptist. He baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with or submerged in the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Okay, now. We're about to get stung again. These guys had just heard Jesus teach them for 40 more days on the kingdom of God. You're about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. You're my ambassadors. You're my citizens. I'm going to give you the power of God to advance my kingdom all throughout the earth. Destroy the works of the devil. Save souls. Bring the peace of God everywhere you go. And so Jesus is, you know, thinking, these guys are ready, I think he's thinking. These guys are ready. They get it. And I'm going to give them the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. So how do they respond? Just like we would. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?
They equated, now listen to this family of God. They equated the kingdom of God with their country. They equated the kingdom of God to Israel only. That's the only paradigm they had. They thought that he was, they thought the kingdom of God was political rule and that was the ultimate goal. They thought they finally had their guy who was going to put them back on top. Uh Uh-oh, now I'm meddling. They actually thought the Messiah was a political ruler and king that would restore their national pride and they'd be restored to ruling the world. What they didn't understand was Jesus' kingdom is much broader than a country. In fact, it's not even of this earth, Jesus said. He said, if my kingdom was of this earth, my angels, my father would dispatch 12 legions of angels and they would just take, come and take care of business for him. But the, the world is not my kingdom. My kingdom supersedes all the kingdoms of the world. And my kingdom, through my people, invade every inch of the planet. At least that's the plan. So the kingdom of God advances. I want you to uh, go to the, one of the last slides there. The kingdom of God grows and the world is changed when a person turns his or her life over to Jesus, is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, is sold out to the great commandment and the great commission. When a person gives their life to Christ, the Spirit of God comes in and fills them up. And when they hear a message like this and they get it and it clicks and, and they stop living for themselves but begin living for Jesus and begin living for his mission, which is the expansion of the kingdom throughout the world, and they realize, I have the name of Christ, the presence of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. I have spiritual gifts. I have talents. Everywhere I go, I am a carrier of the kingdom, and I am going to influence wherever I go, Anybody I come into contact with, with the kingdom of God. What does that look like? In the justice system, I'm going to fight for justice. In the education system, I'm going to fight that there's not godless curriculum in our education system. In the government, I'm going to fight for righteousness. Because when the righteous rule, the city rejoices. Policies that are implemented, I'm going to fight that godly policies are implemented so that our cities can have, can have the kingdom of God ruling. In my family, I want to be the greatest husband and father I can because I'm representing the kingdom of God to my wife and to my children. You see, the kingdom of God expands throughout the earth through you. That is the secret of the kingdom. You are now a carrier of the kingdom. Everywhere you go, everyone you talk to, everything you do, You are the salt, the preservation of the place where you work. Don't pray to get out of the ungodly environment at work. When people say to me, Pastor, will you pray that I get a new job where they're all Christians? No, I will never pray that prayer for you. I want you to be right smack in the middle of the darkness. Otherwise, why are you the light? You can only have so many light bulbs in one room. The salt of the earth. You're preserving society. Satan does the same thing in the opposite direction. 
He motivates individuals to produce nasty stuff in the entertainment industry so that it can pollute people's human beings' souls with music and with video, what you see and what you hear. It pollutes your soul. He motivates educators to write curriculum that is godless to shape a generation away from the things I've been preaching today, to shape the minds and mold the minds. He moves on political leaders to to want power and control, not to serve, but to be served. He motivates businessmen and women to be greedy and get all you can get. Get all you can. Can all you get and sit on the can. And then you die. Like one rich, rich, rich guy died. And as his hearse was going down the street, his two brothers were standing next to each other. And they said, oh, that's, that's old man so-and-so. Man, he was rich. How much do you think he left behind? And the other guy says, all of it. In fact, the scripture we read about don't run after the things the world like the pagans do, but seek my father's kingdom. That's the scripture where he, he said, uh, I forget what he said. I forget what I was going to say. That was a great thought. Oh, it was in a context of um, covetousness. Lord, tell my brother to give me part of the inheritance. And Jesus used that covetousness, the earthly accumulation, to teach on. Don't seek these things. Seek the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, The good news we brought to you came not only with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, with the knowledge that it is true. I'm going to come to a close on this because uh, we're going to have Stephanie and Jeanette come up here. You know, I could have gotten like a video clip from like A.D., the, the movie about the resurrection. But why have a video clip of what happened 2,000 years ago when we have testimonies of what's happening today? Isn't that better? Okay, so we look at what he says here when he responds to them. When they say, are you going to restore the earthly kingdom to us so we can rule and reign right now on this earth? And he said to them, it's not in verse 7, Acts 1, 7. It's not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father's put in his own authority, but you shall receive Power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, he went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, saying, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus is going to come back when it's all said and done. At the beginning of this message in chapter 1, verse 2 of the book of Acts, it says that all that Jesus began to both to do and to teach until he was taken up. Jesus did until he was done. And he wasn't done until he was taken up. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, citizens of heaven that are in the earth, are not done at 65. Sorry, Mark. You're not done You're not done until he comes or you go. That's when you're done. Because we're not living on an earthly plan where we we save up for our retirement and then we retire and then we spend the next 25 years of our life doing nothing. 
You are in a co-mission with the resurrected Christ until he takes you or you or he comes back and gets you. That's when you're done. Amen. You want to see the end picture? This is awesome. Revelation chapter 7 says, After these things I looked, and behold, this is John seeing heaven. I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The message of the gospel Sharing your faith with others isn't just for the forgiveness of their sins. It is turning self-centered sinners into Christ-centered worshipers who become the salt and light of the world everywhere they go. Now, Stephanie had a wonderful job here in San Diego until Jesus spoke to her when she was driving down, I think, I-15 and made her a missionary. And now she has spent... Uh, years traveling the globe. I went with her on a couple of trips and it's where God touched me for the nations. And she takes teams and just shares the good news of Jesus Christ with people all over the planet. She's living the book of Acts. Let's welcome Stephanie to make it. She comes up to share with us today. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. And um, I'm going to share in a few minutes just about Luke 10, and I want to say I feel um, Luke 10, 17. That's when the 72 disciples returned joyfully after Jesus had sent them out. First he sent out the 12 to the lost sheep of Israel. Then he sent out the 72, which, guess what? That represents the table of nations in Genesis 10. (laughs) And uh, I'm just feeling the excitement, and everything in me is just like, ah! Yes, 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 it's true. And I have experienced it and uh, continue to experience it. We had the most awesome trip. So thank you guys for praying for us. There were eight of us who went to Assam in northeast India. Jeanette um, was one of our team members along with Ron Farnsworth. If you go with Ron, you just have to know you're not going to be the favorite person on the team because everyone loves Ron. (laughs) And Jeanette. Jeanette too, but... There's just something special about Ron. Anyway, I'd like to, um, before I share, ask Jeanette to share her testimony, how the Lord touched her to go, and just any thoughts from the the trip. Okay, Okay, so this was my first mission trip, and I never wanted to go um, to the point where I'd say, God, I'll do anything. Just don't send me on a missions trip. Um, um, But uh, last year, Stephanie was sharing um, about the, the mission trip that we just went on, and I felt really overwhelmed in my seat. Uh, my heart was beating really fast, and um, I didn't listen to your sermon. I, I contemplated all the reasons why I could not go. You know, um, I don't have money, and as soon as I would start the thought, um, I had the answer. So it's like, I, I don't have money. Well, uh, it'll be provided. Uh, I have two really small kids. Well, so is Stephanie. Uh, okay. Um, I'm not qualified. Um, I've been a Christian my whole life. Um, I'm turning 33 this year, and I talk about Jesus. People know I'm a Christian, but I never shared the gospel, and I've never led anyone to Christ. Oh. Um, so I, um, 
when when I thought that, all I heard was, you know, um, people can learn from donkeys. I'm like, all right, I'll be the donkey. Yay! So um, I just decided I had to go because I didn't really have reasons why not to go. Um, so I went, and uh, one of my favorite moments was um, one of the first days we were on the field, um, someone in my team plugged in his worship music into the, the Jeep stereo, and it was Lighthouse by Ren Collective. And I'm staring out the window as we're driving, and you see idols everywhere. Okay, people don't know Jesus. They don't know he exists. And there's idols everywhere. And I just heard God say, you are my warriors, and you're fighting to take my people back. Yeah. So... One of the first houses I got to after that moment, um, there were 33 people there, and I got to share the gospel, and all 33 got saved. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they were really excited. We got to um, hand out Bibles to the people who could read, and um, the group was too big for this home, um, so we had to split into two groups, and I got to teach people how to um, go through a Bible study and how to teach themselves. And uh, we got to go back later in the week, um, and they, they met and did their Bible study, and there were so many kids that we took them outside, and someone was teaching them um, children, s- songs like um, uh, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, you know, like with all the hand motions. And you could see a church being built just right there, and it was just overwhelming. Um, and so I told Stephanie, you know, I just, you know, we just got to lead 33 people to, to Christ. She goes, yeah, he just gave you one person for every year you've been alive. Like, <laughs> um, and the other thing that I thought was really neat was, um, you know, I had a translator. And, you know, my thought was, okay, he just translate what, what I say. That's great. And at the end, he said, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life. And I've never shared the gospel because I was too scared what people thought, and I didn't know what to say, but all week I got to repeat you and learn, and now I'm so excited because I know what to say to people. And now, like, you don't have to come back. I'm going to be doing it. And I just, I thought it was really Woo! That was so exciting. At the end of the week, all these nationals were like, we were so nervous. We were so nervous. The Americans were like, we were so nervous. We were so nervous. But... They didn't know until the end of the week that the other people were nervous, too. So. Okay, um, David, maybe you could just put the, the other pictures up. So we were in Assam, and uh, there are just these tea fields everywhere. You guys have probably had lots of, of uh, tea from Assam. It was just beautiful and lush. And um, there we are getting ready for, I think, our first day of ministry. And um, so what we did, Luke 10 was uh, our template. Jesus sent out the 72, and he gave them some instructions. He said, the harvest is great, and the harvest is great. And um, sometimes we, we think, it's not great, but it is. It's, it's great. It's plentiful. Um, but the workers are few. So pray that the Lord of harvest would send out workers into his harvest field. He gives them some instructions. He says, go look for the person of peace. And when you find that person, stay with them, hang out with them, accept their hospitality, go deep. If they accept, if they reject you, they're rejecting me. If they accept you, they accept me. 
And so that's what we did. We, um, we went to homes. We shared Christ with people. And we saw people who didn't accept. And then we saw many people who did. I think we got to share with 337 people. And that is a conservative estimate. And we weren't out, like, in the marketplace trying to share with lots and lots of people. We, intimate, we're looking for intimate, um, intimate sharing time. So we were in people's homes. With families, if people are with like big crowds, they're very hesitant to give their life to Christ and to talk and to open up. So we're sharing in people's homes, and we saw 137 people throughout the week make professions of faith in Christ. And we say make professions because we don't really know where people's hearts are at, but it's an indication that good things are happening, and I'm just trusting that God is going to water the seeds that he planted. So this was a home that I went to on day number three, um, shared the gospel, and the entire family wanted to accept Christ. That was something we prayed for, that whole families would want to come together. So they said, okay, yes, come back tomorrow, and we'll do a Bible study. Or we'll teach, we'll give them Bibles, and we'll teach them how to look at it and how to dig in for themselves. So we go back the next day, and can you go to the next picture? And they were ready for us. They were waiting for us. It wasn't like, oh, this is a bother. They had put out this table with a little tablecloth, and they're just waiting there for us. And they had invited others. Okay, can you, yeah. So they had uh, a house full of people. We shared the gospel with them. They all wanted to follow Christ. And so we're thinking out of that, um, out of that home, three small groups will be started. Some of them were not literate, so we had um, New Testaments, but we also had audio Bibles that have worship music and Bible stories in their languages, along with um, simple questions where they can discuss the scriptures for themselves. And so, let's see, can you move forward to the next? Uh, well, I've got a picture of some gals with audio Bibles, but they were then trained to share the gospel. Okay, this is, yeah. All of the believers, well, many of the believers were then trained how to share Jesus for themselves. And so not only, um, I'm losing my thought, but anyway, they were trained in how to share the good news with others. So we'd, we'd share, and uh, we'd, pr- we'd pray everywhere we, we would go. We would pray for people. Is there some sort of a need that you have? Can we you know, ask God to bring healing, or what, what kind of a need? We saw God um, do just incredible things. I got an email from our national saying that as the follow-up workers have um, gone back, they would say, oh, yes, Ron and Dan went to this particular village, they had prayed for someone with a headache, which was severe, and they were healed. That person got saved. In this, this place, you know, they prayed for this person. This person was healed, and they're walking with Christ. And we had estimated ten groups would have been formed. Eight of those groups are meeting regularly. And um, I'm just, my heart is exploding happy. Um, so wrapping up. I'm just so excited. I don't even know what to say. Um, In Luke 10, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit after the disciples return. And he said, blessed are the eyes that have seen what you've seen. I I tell you that many have longed, prophets and kings have longed to see what you see. But they didn't see it. And you did. We get to be part of expanding the kingdom in India and at home. Could you go to the last slide? Wow. That's a water baptism? No. <laughs> That's 
people trying to get their sins removed from the Ganges River. <laughs> the wrong, that's the wrong one. Um, okay, February 2017. We're going to take another team back to North India, perhaps Assam. So I'm just throwing it out there. Um, if you'd like to join us, um, ask the Lord if he might have you. Thank be you part so of much, Stephanie. Thank you so much. So I'm going to close with this. When the disciples, after Jesus did all this preaching, Jesus did all the preaching and teaching. His own disciples were still self-focused. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that that amazing? They were still earthly bound, self-focused, saying, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus had to fix their gaze and get them to stop gazing at themselves and start gazing at the lost. He had to fix their gaze so they could be world changers. So I'm going to ask you this question. Where is your gaze right now? Just be honest. Be honest with yourself. Where is your gaze right now in your life? Where's your gaze? I'm telling you what Jesus said is true, that if you would fix your gaze on him and his kingdom, you're going to experience righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Stephanie. Thank you for Jeanette. Thank you for Ron. But we have a mission field right here in San Diego, California. That's why we've put a sign out front now. As you leave today, you'll see a sign that says you're now, you are now entering the mission field. Lord, I pray for a massive paradigm shift in the hearts and minds of every one of us in this church today. That we would recognize that we are kingdom people. We belong to the king. And the expansion of your kingdom is what we are all about. Does the Lord have to fix your gaze this morning? If so, ask him to do it. Quickly. Don't waste another second with your gaze in the wrong place. You can go and ask him right where you are. Say, Lord, fix my gaze. Today there's a shift where I allow you to fix my gaze, you and your kingdom expansion. Okay, now what I want to do is this. Mark, if you'll go up and lead us in some worship. What I want to do is this. I have fasted and prayed for today because I want real, fresh infillings and baptisms of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that Jesus told them, now that I've taught you all about the kingdom and who you are and what you're to be all about, you need the power. And listen, they got filled over and over and over again. You read through the book of Acts, they're getting filled again and again and again. 
The Christian life is not about getting baptized in the Holy Spirit one time and then spend the rest of the time just getting more information. It's about encounter after encounter after encounter after encounter. So I'm asking the Lord to pour out His Spirit fresh on all of us today. So I want to say, I want to, I want to do it this way. I want to, um, in just a moment, I want to, I know we're just really running out of time here, but this doesn't have to take forever. I want to say something to you real quick about taking forever. Do you know when he said, Terry, wait in Jerusalem until the, Father, until the power of the Holy Spirit? Unfortunately, this is really important so you can receive quickly. Unfortunately, we have taken that phrase, wait until the power from on high comes. And we started teaching that you have to wait and tarry for the power. That was only until the day of Pentecost came. They had to wait because Jesus had set up the whole thing sovereignly for the Holy Spirit to be poured out so that the first harvest could be reaped on Pentecost, which was the harvest festival for Israel of bringing in the harvest, thanking God for the harvest of grain. The day of Pentecost was the Israel's celebration of bringing in the harvest. So Jesus says, wait. So he talks to them for 40 days after his resurrection, then waits another 10 days so that on the day of Pentecost, the ingathering is what that's called the day of Pentecost, Jesus could show what the real harvest was about, which was souls. Then he pours out his spirit. They go out and preach that day, and 3,000 people get saved, and the harvest of God began. So you don't have to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit anymore. You don't have to tarry for it. You don't have to wait for it. It's available to you right now. Can I hear an amen? That destroys a lot of great sermons. Actually, they weren't great because they were wrong. So what I'm going to do right now is, if you want a fresh influence of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask Mark to begin to lead us in some worship. And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is truly going to begin to fill you up fresh and new right now. And if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, maybe you're a believer. Maybe you've given given your heart to Jesus, but you've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you like they did in the day of Pentecost here. If that's you, I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down. And if you have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit... Not the baptism in water, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where the power of God comes upon you. Maybe you get the gift of tongues when that happens. You want to play drums? I want you to come down front right now so we can lay hands on you, like they did in the book of Acts, where it says Paul laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. You need the power of the Holy Spirit if you are going to be a Christian in the earth today. So if you've never received the baptism, please come down. We're going to pray with you. If you've never received your prayer language, which is being able to pray in other tongues, come down. We'll pray with you. And and, uh, allow Jesus to give you the gift of your spiritual language. If you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, just raise your hands up. Just lift your hands and begin to worship Him and ask Him to fill you fresh and new. If you want to come down front for a fresh infilling, You can come down front and we will pray with you. But let's, just for about the next five minutes in here, let's just worship and receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Can we turn the lights down just a little bit back there, Jeff?